welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everybody, this week I welcome back to the podcast Dr. Sina Habibi. He is the co-founder and CEO of Cognitivity. So uh, Sina has super interesting background, uh, PhD in engineering at Cambridge, and obviously now the founder of a health tech company. He has always been somebody that solves complex challenges, develops compelling and collaborative ways to solve them, and cognitivity is no different. You can go back and listen to the episode where he talks all about it, but this is a catch-up. 18 months, two years on, it's a long time since Sina came on. They've achieved some awesome stuff, really interesting pivots, through COVID-19, very interesting scale that they've got now in the UK, in the NHS. This was just a really cool catch-up with a really cool company. Hope you enjoy it, everybody. With me this week, I've got Sina Habibi, who has been on previously, uh, founder and CEO of Cognitivity. And this is a little series that I'm going to start doing now, getting old guests on that are, well, still young in, uh, <laughs> in human terms, but uh, a previous guest, should I say. Um, a previous guest on talk about what they've done since their previous appearance. So, Sina, welcome. It's been what a couple of years since you've been on, arguably quite an early guest onto the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 two years and passed so quickly, as you can imagine. No, oh, it does. Uh, it does. <laughs> it's been um, it's been exciting, um, up and downs, uh, but uh, a lot of learnings. A lot of things have changed since we talked last time. So, yeah. Happy to be here. I think an achievement in itself is uh, just sticking around as a health tech company with everything that's gone on in the world for two years. I think that in itself is an achievement. I think obviously the health tech system is is booming now, but pff, lots of water under the bridge in in the last couple of years, mate. But do you want to do you want to just recap us as to sort of who you are and what what is cognitivity? Yeah, absolutely. Well, before that, maybe a fun fact for you. Over the last uh, 14, 15 months, we doubled the size of the company. So Wow. That sets <laughs> the scene nicely. Not only we survived, but we become stronger as well. Thrived. <laughs> not just survived, indeed. But yeah, exactly. go for it. Please. So yeah, uh, just as a recap, we are uh, a company started from Cambridge University. Uh, I do a lot of these conversations these days uh, with the US audience. So I make sure that they know that this is real Cambridge. Because apparently they made <laughs> they made the second one, a fake one in, in, in the US. I'm not talking <laughs> about that one. UK Cambridge. We started back in 2013 with my co-founder, and we looked at cognitive tests. Uh, I was doing my PhD in engineering. He was doing uh, his PhD in cognitive neuroscience, and we realized all the tests used for assessing one's cognition are mostly based on memory. An argument, an argument then was that memory is complicated and also very late stage in order to be able to detect severe changes in memory or decline in memory. And as a result, we end up detecting the disease very late in the stage. And as a result, our treatments are not effective. And as a result, the clinical trials have failed, so on and so forth. We looked at something else which we call speed of information processing by the brain. And to put it in a very simple computer analogy, while everyone else had focused on hard drive of the brain, we focused on CPU of the brain. How quickly your brain can analyze complicated information. 
the test that we uh, wrote a very back of envelope code on MATLAB uh, back then looked at uh, and basically took some uh, tests from our friends, people aged between 18 to 35, and we found a beautiful correlation between age and the performance. And as you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, major risk factor is age. So we put two and two together and realized we have a good test that can detect um, Alzheimer's very early stage. So move, moving forward six years, we spent six years collecting data, validating through multiple clinical trials from a proof of concept, few people that I mentioned in the back of envelope MATLAB code to the point that we completed uh, our uh, clinical trial at NHS with 10 NHS trust involved in order to give us CE marking uh, towards end of 2000. And 19. Unfortunately, three months after we received our CE marking and we were talking to NHS trusts, uh, all memory clinics had to shut down. So we had to go back and think how we can get this to the hands of people who need it. So uh, we've done a lot of further innovation and we've made our tests remotely available and we're collecting some tests, uh, some uh, studies. Uh, in order to validate uh, the uh, test being taken completely remotely without any healthcare professional. Uh, and that's a, that's a recent change that we've made in, the, in, in our proposition, which is hugely topical. It's um, interesting. We used to tell um, our doctors, our specialists, that you don't really have to bring patients to the, to the hospitals if you don't have to. But they would say, oh, I've been doing this all my life. I, I can't change this. I want to still do one of those memory-based tests uh, and cognitive tests on pen and paper uh, because that's how I've been trained. Uh, but now, as a result of the pandemic and as a result of uh, the fact that you can put your uh, patient's life at risk for bringing them in for um, cognitive tests, which can be done completely remotely, uh, we will have a huge behavioral change. Uh, even though we were telling uh, the, the specialists that patients are happier to be uh, to stay at home and it's it's easier to keep uh, taking care of them there, uh, it was uh, hard to change the behavior. But this huge event has had that impact and will change the behavior as we um, as we come back to to some sort of normality. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, just how we've seen what's possible when people have their hand forced. And I think that's what the pandemic did, didn't it? That conversation about, you know, is it better to bring someone in for a memory test or shall we just do the memory test remotely? When you're not in a pandemic, it's easy to say, well, the way we've always done it is we've, we'll, bring, we'll bring them in. There's things that I can tell when they're in the room. There's subtle cues that I can spot, yeah. all this sort of stuff, which may all well be true. It might be a small percentage on top of the other stuff, but you know that might still be useful for the odd thing or, or whatever it is. But I think what we've seen is, as I said, people's hand being forced. It's had, to, it's had to go remote. In order for it to yeah. get done at all, it's had to go remote. 
and you will have seen and felt the enormous value to the tune of doubling in size of your company, right? During and, and holding that value. I think the that's what innovation innovation had to happen, you know, necessity being the mother of invention and all that sort of rhetoric. It, it's so true. I think before I want to ask you some more stuff on that, but I think before before we do that, I want to touch on this clinical trial with 10 NHS trusts or clinical trials with, with 10 NHS trusts. That is an incredible achievement. And that led you to then be CE marked, which again, incredible achievement and super useful because then you can actually sell it, right? Um, that is incredible a, a progress. And as I say, an, an, an achievement. I mean, what there'll be so many people listening that are just like, how on earth can I build a software product that I can get CE marking for, that I can get a clinical trial done. How did you manage to do that? Very good question. So if you want to use a product in a clinic and on a patient, you have to be um, regulated. And uh, while we still part of, well, while we were part of Europe, uh, this was under CE uh, regulation. And uh, we had to show that our product can do at least as good as those standard of care products, such as those uh, pen, and paper uh, pen and paper tests that I mentioned earlier. So uh, we designed this clinical trial. It's actually a funny story. Uh, there are companies out there called uh, clinical or contract research organizations, CROs. Uh, we contact, we were so naive uh, back uh, in 2014. Uh, we designed a study, we reached out to one of the big names in the space and we told them, this is the study we designed. How much do you think it's going to cost us? And they came back quoting us $10,000 per patient. It's an American company uh, per patient. And per we patient? Per patient, yeah. And we had uh, around... Um, 500 patients in the study. So that was $5 million upfront uh, to go only in your, to your clinical trials. Forget about product That's outrageous. Yeah. So uh, we had to rethink and redesign how we were going to do this. So uh, we started contacting NHS Trust. All NHS Trust, we realized actually those CROs have offices in, these, uh, in each NHS Trust. At the end of the day, recruitment happens within NHS Trust. So you have right. a middle man, you have uh, a, a group that sits in between the two parties. Uh, if you are a pharmaceutical company or if you are a medical device company, you go to these guys if you can afford it, then they charge you uh, their access to the patients uh, in order to collect the data that you need in order to validate your product. So we reached out to the NHS, we reached out to uh, each of these trusts uh, R&D department and we told them about the product, we told them about uh, what problem it's going to solve and all NHS trusts, uh, NHS or UK uh, in general is a fantastic place to do research and development of novel products. It's very condensed, so geographically all these trusts are very close to each other. Uh, so managing a trial is not that complicated. So at the end of the day, we ended up uh, doing it, uh, do, your, do it yourself. Uh, we uh, wrote down the protocol ourselves, ran it by some consultants, and then uh, we ended up recruiting the patients through 
R&D departments of NHS trusts, and it cost us only per patient around 500 pounds. So we managed to do it 20 times cheaper. Wow. Than originally. That's amazing. Still with the 500. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Mate, it just goes to show like running a health tech company or running any company, the, the innovation required to just get things done will separate the good from the bad, right? There'll be plenty of people that have done that kind of analysis and just gone, ah, it's too expensive. Or, ah, we now need to raise 10 million, 5 million to, to pay the thing and then another five to manage it. Like there'll be plenty of people that think like that, but seemingly... Yeah, you've uh, you've certainly innovated your way around the problem, which you know I suppose you'd expect from a good entrepreneur. And I suppose the other key bit of innovation here was moving to remote and just going, okay, it is what it is. We're going to have to find a business model. We're going to have to explain the value. We're going to have to show the value, and we're just going to have to get this done. How was that for you in as a as a process as as you know, having to move everybody in the company to, I don't know if you had to create something new, whether it was just something that you did, but yeah. Tell me about that whole process, that whole pivot, that whole innovation around that stuff. Uh, You you got a super uh, interesting and on point uh, point that uh, when you come up with a new company or when you start a company, you continuously innovating at every step of the way yeah this is not the start we start with finding a patent and you think okay we've got some novel approach uh a a very powerful patent that protects us no one else has done uh this way of cognitive testing like us before but you never stop your clinical trial you have to be innovative otherwise you end up uh, having a five million dollar uh bill to pay at the very beginning yeah I continuously uh, look at how we can do things differently so that we can get the best out of our limited resources. So coming back to the um, question in terms of how uh, remote uh, assessment come across, we won a big government grant from Innovate UK back in uh, 2019. And that grant, which is called ADEPT, Accelerating Dementia Pathway, uh, Dementia Diagnosis Pathway. Uh, what a perfect what grant for you to apply to, by the way. <laughs> you must have been overjoyed exactly. when you saw that. <laughs> exactly. It was part of the Digital Health uh, uh, um, grant, but we basically called it ADEPT because they like the Innovate UK likes this kind of yeah, uh, yeah. acronyms. Yeah, acronyms, and, and yeah. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> so... That study was, that that project uh, or grant was precisely designed in order to accelerate our adoption within the NHS. It was looking at different angles of uh, uptake, how we can get this to the hands of uh, specialists uh, more uh, easily and at scale. So part of the study, part of the project looks at um, the information systems of NHS and how we can integrate our technology within uh, the IT systems, within the EHRs that they use. So uh, a doctor, in order to run our test, doesn't have to go 
switch from one system to another yeah. in order to uh, take it. It's a small uh, piece of uh, work when you like look at it from outside, but it's a lot of technical development and understanding because um, you might think that we have, for example, a few EHR systems out there, but <laughs> when you look deep, you find out within a trust, you can find probably 10 EHR system being used. Some of Whoa. them legacy system from 10 years ago that they don't want to drop because they're going to lose data. Some of them uh, have uh, been a, a result of a, a merger between two trusts and they kept the two legacy systems. So uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly complicated. Uh, so that project was looking at how we can get our products seamlessly and at scale available to doctors. Yeah. And that project start part of that study looks at uh, that project looks at um, real world evidence. So we look at patient pathway in practice because you have a patient pathway that nice recommends. But when you go and see what happens in practice, no one is doing it the way it's supposed to be done or mm -hmm. the way it's, it's, it is recommended by nice to be done. So um, the work was to look at real world evidence of a patient entering the pathway, going through primary care, secondary care, and then getting diagnosis with or without our technology and show how we can improve uh, A, uh, reduce the cost, B, uh, improve uh, the patient outcome. This study was disrupted because we could not get the patients uh, in, into the clinics as a result of the shutdown. So it was suggested in order to, for us to be able to get the study completed, we need to do remote. And we started building additional technology that enables taking the test at home. For example, our test, uh, we didn't discuss how our test works, uh, just to open a chapter here. It's a five minutes test taken on an iPad. Uh, in a five minutes test, we show around 100 images to subjects, uh, to participants. So an image come on a screen and goes away for a very short period of time. We're talking about 100 milliseconds. So it's the flash of an image coming and going away. Each image, either has an animal inside or it doesn't have an animal inside. And the participant is supposed to answer as soon and as accurate as possible if they've seen an animal in the, uh, in the uh, image or not, anywhere in the image. And they press uh, the tap on the right side if there is an uh, animal in the image, they tap on the left side if there is no animal. And images vary in their complexity. So you have, for example, a bear, big bear in the middle of a green background. Everyone sees that and quickly can respond to that. Respond to that. But then you have a bird in the corner of a jungle. It takes longer for the brain to capture, analyze, and respond to that stimuli. So we collect all these 100 images, uh, responses to these 100 images, build a profile of responses that then we can compare with our historical data where our AI comes in. The test is so simple that uh, you don't need a healthcare professional to run the test. Uh, it was being run by nurses, but uh, what we realized is that the role of a nurse is basically walking the participant through the instruction. 
now we build, we have that in form of animation and additional videos that they can see ahead of taking the test and replace that uh, that role. So an iPad can be sent to the uh, home of uh, our participants. They can open the iPad, watch some videos, see how the test is done, then go through the mode of taking the test and then uh, complete the test. A courier can go and pick up the iPad and the test is done. And the thing is, when it comes to some, addressing something like the backlog of patients, 4.4 million people awaiting treatment now in the NHS, and that was from, I think, October figures from last year, a huge amount of people in waiting lists. The requirement for new ways of doing things is huge. More of the same isn't going to work. We need new ways of doing things moving care closer to the community, making things cheaper, removing the need for a healthcare professional, all of those boxes are ticked by what you're doing. And it seems to me that, well, it's no wonder that the company's doubled in size and you're going to probably continue to do so because I imagine memory clinics are quite low down the list when it comes to priorities in, in turn, you know, when you hit with a global respiratory virus and pandemic and many people in intensive care and all the rest of it, but the effects are still felt all the way down because people decide not to get that memory issue looked at. They decide not to get other things looked at and all of these issues are stacking up. And so whether it's now, whether it's later down the line, that backlog's still going to be there and it's going to get worse, I would argue, especially when it comes to getting memory reviewed and looked at. And so I imagine memory clinics are pretty bad now, but it's only going to get worse. And so is that the is that the point at which you guys are still going in at and helping with the memory clinics? I imagine going remote and removing the healthcare professional opens you up to private sector insurers, B2C. There's probably some conversation around there. How are you guys looking in terms of all of that stuff? Absolutely, you uh, brought up a very important point and that's exactly our value proposition. It was our value proposition before the pandemic and now it's a value proposition <laughs> on steroid uh, as a result of pandemic. So uh, to walk you through what happens uh, to patient through the patient pathway uh, today before the pandemic, you would go to your uh, GP and you have a memory complaint uh, or your informants have uh, can can inform your uh, gp that you have a memory complaint a, a memory issue so for example you're not the same person as uh, you used to be and the gp uh, writes uh, they they're supposed to do a very short cognitive test which is called gp cog uh, in order to establish a, 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 um, a cognitive impairment uh, and uh, based on that, they write a referral letter that uh, sends you to secondary care or those memory clinics. In memory clinics, uh, the uh, process of uh, establishing why you have this uh, cognitive impairment is long and complicated and expensive. Uh, through this process, they take CT scan, MRI, blood test, neuropsych test, which depending on the territory cost around 1,500 pounds uh, per Oof. patient. 
And as a result, at the end of this, a specialist come to the clinical judgment whether this is due to Alzheimer's or other issues. Um, because of the crude tests that we have at primary care and sometimes even more often, uh, lack of time that GPs have to run proper cognitive tests and the fact that they can easily write a, a referral letter and there is no additional funding for them in order to spend this time so you get paid per patient no matter how many times they come and see you you get paid per patient so they end up writing these referral letters quite easily so before the pandemic hit we had in some uh, trust six months waiting time in order to go through the process of getting memory clinics looking at a patient and you were absolutely right. This is not considered um, uh, a critical um, issue. So all memory clinics were shut down for close to nine months last year. So that six month waiting time now has got a nine month additional weight wow. to it added and consider the impact of isolation and the mental health impact of the pandemic added to this. My God. So and the fact now, that there'll be some serious stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That hasn't been picked so, up. Ugh. So we, as soon as things started to come back uh, to some sort of normality, uh, we have the first NHS Trust to pick up our technology at secondary care precisely for that triaging and prioritizing patients with a referral letter in their hands in order to go and get proper assessment. You don't want everyone with those crude tests, sometimes often not even uh, being assessed properly at primary care. Uh, now you have a tool that can prioritize and triage patients who need to be seen earlier than others. Uh, this is our first deployment in, uh, in the NHS. And uh, this is, I think, one of our key uh, value proposition. But also we are bringing back the technology to uh, where the problem starts, and that's in primary care, uh, before this referral is actually made. We are, uh, this is our second deployment in, in the uh, NHS, and that's in Sunderland. Uh, and in Sunderland, there is uh, an initiative to bring secondary and primary care closer together so that this back door of uh, primary care and front door of uh, secondary care become closer together so you can uh, have a better visibility of who is going uh, to be seen um, and give more tools and technologies to uh, the GPs in order to be able to send the right people uh, to the secondary care. So we will be deployed to look at patients uh, with MCI. This is the earliest stage of um, Alzheimer's disease, uh, they, they basically convert uh, to, uh, I think with close to 15 to 20% conversion rate to uh, mild AD uh, every uh, year. So at the moment, there is no way to look at these patients, unfortunately. And when they get the MCI diagnosis in secondary care, they're often asked, go and come back whenever the situation is worsened. And uh, you leave uh, a very complicated decision to a patient who has already have some impairment. And sometimes 
even more often you get uh, patients coming back when the situation is heavily uh, worsened and the, the, the disease is heavily progressed. Uh, and this, these uh, patients, unfortunately, were uh, being abandoned by the system. Uh, but now, in light of some drugs becoming available for the first time in our history that can actually stop the progression of the disease if diagnosed early at MCI level, there is a lot of interest in MCI patients. So they want to be able to monitor the MCI patients. And that's where our technology comes very, very handy um, at, uh, at primary care. And as soon as the situation getting worse, then you can send them, then you can call back the patients as opposed to leaving it to them subjectively to decide when is a, a good time to go back. So that's very exciting. MCI patients, early diagnosis is getting more and more exciting. Uh, there are two companies with um, two uh, big pharma uh, that have uh, had uh, very promising uh, trials. Uh, and there is a, a possibility that soon we have a drug can, that can slow uh, the progression of the disease. That's incredible. I think I said this on the last time, last time you were on, but it's such a good example of, of health tech solving a problem. I mean, it really is like you look, you look at the backlog, you look at a bottleneck at memory clinics, however you want to describe any of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's a very simple health tech solution that's gone in and solved the problem. Right. And it's, and it's done so in a really efficient manner and, yeah, all credit to you, man. I think I think it's awesome. Uh, but I, I do want to come back to this point, though. It's not about just having a nice idea and then and then it all works absolutely fine. I think you know your your the journey since you've been on last time to now has been about constantly innovating, and I think that's a really important thing to come back to. That despite how simple it might sound like oh it's just a it's just a memory test on an ipad you know you flash some images you press yes or no and you get a lovely diagnosis at the end you don't you don't just stumble upon uh, a clinical trial for 500 patients you don't just stumble upon ce marking you don't just stumble a, upon 10 nhs trusts that's there's a lot of hard work and a lot of innovation that goes on behind the scenes there and a lot of resource necessary to do so. Did you guys raise money again in between us speaking last time and now? Uh, yeah, we did two uh, bridge financing. I think it come close to $3 million in total wow. uh, in, in this period, but we didn't do a big raise. We have some major announcement coming in in the next uh, few weeks and months. Uh, <laughs> nice. We have some big uh, partnerships uh, that will be announced uh, soon uh, that give us a scale because um, wow. uh, we're getting seen. Um, mm. And um, we know for a fact that we are, again, this is another um, uh, point uh, of uh, innovation. When it comes to our commercial, we made the point that um, we cannot build all that commercial, all those commercial channels and uh, distribution um, access that uh, companies, uh, big pharma, for example, has built uh, before us. Uh, they, uh, when a big pharma uh, knocks the door of uh, a, a neurologist or a psychiatrist, uh, having uh, had 30 years of um, working together, there is a, a relation built 
uh, but we, we, we can, as a small organization, we cannot go out and uh, do this quickly, as quick as we want. Uh, we have a technology which works, uh, which works very effectively and solves a big problem, but still getting it to the hands of people, uh, it's a huge, huge task and uh, requires huge resources. But what we realized is that we can do this uh, with companies that have those, um, those channels built and those relationships existing. So we're working uh, with some uh, big uh, groups in order uh, to work together. They need a product like ours because uh, it helps them uh, with looking at the patients, finding the right patients and also monitoring uh, the, 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 the process of uh, treatment uh, and uh, we can actually have, uh, we, 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 we will be dependent on their uh, access. So both of us solve a problem for each other. And then the process of giving, uh, taking this to as many as people as possible uh, becomes a lot more uh, accelerated as opposed to us trying to do that. Nice. So, so many good lessons in there for people trying to do this at the moment about setting up commercials and partnerships the right way, thinking about the business model the right way, making sure the solution is relatively simple, but then still having the, the, the hunger to innovate and make sure it happens. I think your pivot through, through COVID-19 is obviously expertly done to the point where you've added even more value and being able to do that remotely, it then will carry through into, into solving the backlog issue and, and you know, a new model of care hopefully and and i'm sure there's plenty of people looking at that for the people before we wrap up i I suppose for people in primary care be those gps be those pcns or ccgs or whatever level you're going in at for those people listening at that level and or people that might want to partner with you at either the pharma level or the nhs trust level um what asks would you have of that audience in terms of what you, who, who you're looking to speak to at the moment in terms of uh, obviously there's a big announcement coming and hopefully some more resource comes along with that. What is it that you're going to be looking to do and who is it that you're looking to speak to? Uh, we are going to um, expand our, our, our basically uh, roadmap is to get our uh, product in the hands of specialists, secondary care because these guys are trendsetters, if you like, they're influencers of the space. Uh, we have worked through those uh, 10 NHS uh, trusts that we did our clinical trials. We have very good access with uh, the, the, the academic, uh, academic specialists, if you like, the ones who are interested in research and ones interested uh, in, uh, they, they, they are specialists, they're neurologists or uh, psychiatrists. But as we go, take this product out of the research space and taking it to practical space and taking it to clinics. We need more and more of those influencers that they are closer to the clinical practice versus research. And uh, following that, we will take, we want, we know that our product is more effective at scale, at primary care, even uh, at consumer level. Uh, so uh, we, we will work our way down the hierarchy uh, of the specialty and uh, we need more of uh, those, uh, those uh, clinicians in secondary care followed by GPs and followed by uh, finally taking this to the hands of um, consumers. We have built a 
mental well-being uh, product doesn't give you a, a clinical diagnosis but at the end of our conversation i'd like to um quickly mention uh, about uh, this product that we call it optimize uh, uses the same engine as um, ICA, which is our uh, medical product, but looks at each individual, benchmarks them versus themselves within their population. And it shows them how they are um, doing with their uh, brain health. Uh, the same way, the, the analogy I use is the same way uh, that you look at um, the mirror or you stand on a scale in order to see um, how your physical health has been changed over a course of having a different lifestyle, whether it's going to gym or whether it's not going to the gym. That's how you measure how you've been doing. We have made that available and possible for brain. And uh, you can see if you've had a, a, a period of time that you have not slept well, uh, you have uh, drank a bit more than you should, and you had a, a bad diet, uh, you can take the test and compare yourself with previously and see if uh, that has had an impact and then try to send yourself back on track. One problem we had with mental health is that it can go for a very, very long time before we notice any uh, change and any problem. And that's another problem we want to solve. So our, uh, we're going to work all the way down from uh, specialists to consumers uh, directly. It's so cool, man. Just adding adding so much value. I mean, I think for anybody listening that is a memory specialist, uh, for anybody listening that, that might be in primary care with that interest, I think for anybody that is interested in, you know, the, the, the future of the way that we uh, uh, diagnose memory conditions and, and potentially the digital health in memory like all of these things it's, it's the areas that you're part of and I, and are you know i'd say driving and changing and innovating and i think it's no it's no surprise to me mate to be honest that, that you've that you've done so well I, th- I think that the attitude that you've got to innovation and digital health health tech, whatever you want to call it is absolutely ideal and the the area that you're in has a very clear problem to solve and you've come up with a very uh, elegant solution for it that you do continue to innovate i think there's so, so much that that you can do and will do as you say with the extra resources you're going to get and i think it's an extremely exciting time so i would encourage anybody listening to get in touch with you what is the best way for people to get in touch with you Cena, if they want to if they want to get in touch you can contact us through um direct emails um either on info at cognitivity.com um, or we have a forum uh, and or social media. We're active uh, on uh, all, all the big ones out there. Uh, and yeah, happy to uh, be involved in the in the conversation. Uh, this is a super exciting space, not only uh, uh, mental health, but digital health. I think uh, there is going to be a revolution in how we do things. Uh, and we will use uh, these uh, little computers that we have in our pockets um, that are more than two times powerful than the ones that we landed on the moon and doing something more exciting and more helpful than watching cat videos. I always say that. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for coming on, Sina. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. 
Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.